Welcome to Left of the Throne, a Game of Thrones review podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Montrullo, joined here by my co-host, Comrade Dracula. Comrade, what's going on? We are all out of thrones to review, almost. Um, yeah. No, I'm, I'm um, doing good. It's It's been weird. We, we didn't do our regular review on Monday night because we had some tech issues, I think, uh, uh, i.e. forgetting the microphone. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, that was more <laughs> yeah you know the the hbo put out the little you know the the full-length documentary and i think a lot of people who originally had bashed season eight went back and were like oh oh actually this was like the the hardest thing they've ever done before uh and maybe that that provides some new context to them i saw a few memes where people were like recanting a lot of their uh blind hatred for what they clearly didn't understand um but yeah, I guess we'll go through those details. Yeah, we'll get we'll get into all that. So yeah, um, this is basically just a uh, series wrap up. Uh, we have uh, no more Thrones to review uh, for now until the prequels come out. So uh, I just want to you know kind of go through. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the documentary because I think that was uh, really well put together and a really interesting look into the production for this season. Um, and then after that, we can kind of just talk about our thoughts on the series as a whole, uh, maybe some of our future hopes for uh, the extended Game of Thrones universe, or if we, uh, you know, maybe hope that they don't do, do so much of that. Uh, we'll talk about that. And uh, yeah, I, th- I think that should, uh, that should cover pretty much everything there is to cover. So uh, you watched the whole documentary, I assume, correct? I, I did. I didn't rewatch it. So my memory is you know what a week and a half yeah, old I, now um but yeah it, it's uh it 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 definitely hit me you know it was kind of like oh this is the closure i needed but also uh you know you when you saw a lot of the people on the show that clearly was affecting them to the point where uh some of them are in rehab now <laughs> um uh, you know just just for the stress of of how hard it was and the stress of mm-hmm. of not having it anymore uh, and then also the stress of, of, of having to be everything to everybody um, and feel like people are stalking you because you're world famous, I think definitely got to a, a lot of people. Obviously got to Macy Williams, uh, clearly got to Kate Harrington, who's now in rehab at, as we speak. Um, for your plush Connecticut rehab, it's like $120,000 a month. Uh, get well soon. And, <laughs> yeah, get well soon, Kate. Or we King in the North. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, it's it's grueling it, to make a show like this. I mean, you people were like, oh, they should have had 10 episodes. This is like they couldn't. They couldn't. They were going to kill people if they did 10 episodes. Yeah. Oh, my, can you imagine if they had to do fucking three more hours of television with the fucking uh, yeah. brutal? It, it, like, yeah. People don't realize like, OK, they the, the Battle of Winterfell was like the most anticipated episode of TV maybe in history. And I think the you know, the biggest payoff in TV history um, it was a world event. The, the massive crowds of thousands of people packed into the bars cheering like it was the World Cup. Uh, you know, and people complaining like it wouldn't. It's like you go out and fucking do anything with your life that fucking huge that has that much emotional resonance around the world and then come back and tell me it wasn't good enough for you. So, uh, yeah, I mean, a 55 day night shoot. You know, like, how do you that? That's a that's better it's than miserable. Most movies you've seen in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it was seriously had like major Fitzcarraldo vibes watching the uh, documentary. Like, this is just fucking brutal. Like, oh, like but um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm sure they didn't want to really show like the worst of it where 
oh, like God, with yeah. the, the the documentary about Fitzcarraldo. They didn't show the worst of the worst kind of stuff with with um, Klaus Kinski, and then like twenty years, twenty five years later, then they show the real awful footage. You're like, oh, it was way way worse than we got <laughs> to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's. I, I don't know how we could have gotten better. And I know everyone's like, oh, the writing was bad, but I will get into the more of that. Why we, uh, I think we disagree why I disagree. Um, and why I think a lot of people that, you know, liked it in the first place, maybe didn't know why they liked it and they didn't know what to think about this season. And they just kind of like went to Reddit and the first meme they saw, uh, they just kind of went with that and they still don't know why they liked it or why they don't like it. Cause they can't articulate it. And I don't trust somebody's opinion when they can't articulate why they did or didn't like it. They just go, I don't know. I just don't, I don't have to defend myself. It's like, well, but you're, you're, you're presenting an opinion. <laughs> so it's gotta be based on something. You have a brain with yeah, a trillion like, neurons in it. Like come up with one fucking thing you didn't like or did like. Yeah. So, I mean, and we'll, we'll talk about the season, but I really want to get into the stuff we liked about the documentary. Cause I think that was, um, it, it it was definitely better than what I expected. I, I expected a lot more something akin to um, the usual kind of like after the throne or after the, whatever the fuck, all the, all the, you know, the tertiary material that they produce about like behind the scenes stuff from uh, the show, you know, the, the, the usual kind of uh, double D's sitting down and explaining poorly why, why they did the certain things that they did in the episode, you know, not really fully understanding their own material. Um, yeah, and at least really can't articulate was, it in a sit-down interview yeah, with the camera. It, yeah, case, but. yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, when we talk when we talk about the episodes and the and the really you know intricate kind of plotting of the season, it, the all the subtext is there. It's just that they don't uh, or are unwilling to articulate it. You know, in those little brief, uh, broader clips that they do at the end which is probably you know being made for the the biggest mass audience possible who may not want to think about you know the thematic implications of aria uh coming back to life at the end of you know or coming back to life through things like that so um but in any event so it it really wasn't like that uh it was uh produced by uh an outside company which was really cool like it was it was it wasn't done by their uh, people they I, they brought in like a documentary crew to do it uh and they really uh you know whenever you make a documentary you you have to make decisions about especially when you're doing it on a really broad subject or a big production or a big campaign any any you know anything involving large groups of people what you have to do is besides the obvious of like follow you know the main person the, the main subject you really want to always try to find uh colorful uh interesting unknown kind of audience avatars or or, or just colorful characters that that otherwise wouldn't get a spotlight that that'll help you tell your your story you know in a documentary and the nice thing about this is like i, I think the like the people they followed for this documentary are like <laughs> some of the most interesting i mean more interesting than some of the cast members i i, I loved uh a couple of them obviously like the, the the snow guy the guy who makes the snow i fucking love that dude that dude was so funny he was just constantly oh, like yeah he reminded me of like the the, the working class stiffs below decks in in alien where it was just like griping about the, <laughs> the station in life uh that he was presented with and he's like oh i guess we don't need snow so we're gonna shovel up all the snow now 
Um, or, like or when he got sent like by himself, uh, yeah, and it's like, oh, I guess it's just me. We're doing the entire <laughs> snow for the entire set now. Yeah, he was. He was like, oh, we we waited for winter so there would be more snow. But then if there's too much snow, it's covering my set decoration and you can't actually see the fake snow. And if I have to put them, it's like, this is this is fucking stupid. We should have just shot this in the summertime when I could decorate with the exact amount of snow that we needed to decorate with. Yeah. But um, but that dude was funny. Uh, you know, obviously the uh, the should the documentary follows uh, the makeup crew, you know, who who do an incredible amount like the hair and makeup people just do an incredible amount of uh work getting the show to look the way it does even like beyond what we'd think about like even like you know kit harrington's hair and like all these other like people that you just think like oh that's just kind of how they look it's like no even them even they they have to go in and get you sit for hours to get made to look like you know john snow or daenerys or whoever they're portraying and it's 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 kind of incredible the amount of fucking time that just gets uh, not wasted but like that that just gets you know sucked up by preparing to shoot the shit so it's it's kind of amazing that anything actually manages to get done when when you hear that like she has yeah, to go I in mean, for like four hours uh, to get her fucking hair put on makeup continuity has got to be exhausting because you got to have it look the same every fucking day or like a little tiny nick or a scar you know like when you're shooting hd and, and you're shooting over the course of one scene over the course of a week, like you get, you don't notice how it might look slightly different from one scene to the next. And then you cut it together and go, Oh, we completely can't use these shots because that, that one little, you know, that little fucking battle scar doesn't line up perfectly with where it's supposed to be. Uh, and we didn't notice that. Right. So that's why you have to pay professional people a shitload of money to get it perfect every single time. Uh, you know, or just, just hair out of place, things like that. Like the thing we like, we, we think that, no work goes into it because we never notice that shit. Like you, you mm-hmm. aside from a, a, you know, a Starbucks cup that no one caught, like the, the, the visual <laughs> effects continuity in this show is, is remarkable. Um, yeah, that's, that's, you know, certainly unsung hero in that regard. And also just, you know, with, with the makeup people, they're sitting in the chair with the actors for hour after hour after hour. And that's like their therapist where they get like, you'll, you'll get to hear things you won't hear anywhere else. Uh, especially with Danny, Danny's talking about, you know, or, uh, you know, uh, Amelia Clark's like, yeah, how do you feel about this? Like, are you like really glad it's going to be over? Or are you just like, what do you, what do you think? Like, she's not, you can tell she's probably had thoughts and hasn't totally fleshed it out with everyone. She's, she knows about the show and, you know, you can tell the actors don't really want to be on camera because they don't know what's going to be shown and not shown. And they don't have it. There's, they don't have any editorial control over that at that point, but it feels like they really kind of like lets you into their, their, their brains. And I, that was what I was hoping for is we would get to hear the things they don't like, you know, the, the things that tell you the work they did, despite not being comfortable with all of it and not like, Oh, see, you could tell they didn't like the, that at season. It's like, no, they're just, they're exhausted. <laughs> they, yeah, they loved no, it. Physically it's just, and mentally exhausted. Exactly. The way anyone would be, uh, especially after eight years of it. And each, each season has to like top the one before it, you know, like how, how could you fucking top this season? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other, uh, character that I absolutely loved, I think he was the MVP of this movie, uh, was Andrew, the, uh, Stark guard, the Stark guard from season one guy that they follow around. Um, I, I just thought he was <laughs> fucking hilarious and an incredible uh, character. 
and it, he it, he's he's what we would all be if we worked on that show he's just like super fucking i love it. he just like walks on say he's like oh look all the fucking stock kings like he sees like the the them setting up the crypts of winterfell and shit he's like just right. super he was a great vessel because it wasn't somebody who was always on the production and they're an outsider enough that they have that, like the same window into it that we would, where every little thing we'd be geeking out about. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But also just the fact that like you see how often they reuse certain extras, right. Cause they know the routine, they know what, you know, getting fitted is like uh, for different, you know, different costumes, makeup and everything. Um, and then to see all the shots that he's in where they show his face too, where you're like, Oh shit, he was actually a traitor. Cause he was on multiple people's armies <laughs> with that same look he's on his face. Stannis's army. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where he's freezing to death and just has that like dead look of like, I haven't eaten in weeks uh, on his face <laughs> was great. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, that was great that they, they, they chose their, their actors, their social actors as you will. Uh, very well as far as who they were, um, who they were covering. And then there was like the, the unit manager who had like the really warbly, uh, you know, Irish voice. Just, you know, every time she talked, she was, I don't know, was even the Irish religion. like just oh, going yeah. up and she, down she, constantly she <laughs> uh, in a way that almost feels like a caricature until you realize that like uh, people really do talk that way. Um, <laughs> no, she was great too. I think she was the one that yeah. swore all the time too. Wasn't she? Wasn't that the one? Yeah, 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 yeah. She was. She was just constantly fuck this, fuck that. Where the fuck yeah. is the? Where the fucking horses? You can't have fags over here by the propane tank so they'll explode. And like, whoa, what did she? Oh, she means cigarettes. That's what she meant. <laughs> can't. Uh, gotta be careful how you say those things in uh, certain yeah. countries. No. So, um, you know, there there's some real incredible kind of peeks behind the curtain and and it's and it really ended up being more of a like this is the crew that makes this shit possible documentary more so than a um you know this is how the how it was like for the actors there there's a little of that there's not a ton of that uh the one scene that really stands out of that is the table read scene where they read through the entirety of the season eight uh scripts it looks like uh which is an incredible just uh, peek into that world i i would fucking watch seven hour however long it took to read through those like scripts i would watch that whole fucking thing because like i just to see people's reactions to like the scenes like w- I, there's so many other scenes from this season that i'd love to see the reaction of the actor and actresses who had to like portray them when they actually learn about it you know in, in those in that read but, yeah um, absolutely and and you realize because they have this guy who's reading the screen direction like you realize like uh that's the writing comments. too like the writing's not just the dialogue and the plot points, it's the screen action. So when people say, well, I love the music and I love the, you know, the, the action and the visual effects and the cinematography was great, but I hated the writing. It's like, where do you think all those things came from? They came from the script. That's where it all starts. When you, yeah. when Arya is running and jumps up off a pile of dead whites and launches through the air, the drama of that is initially conceptualized in the writing. So you can't say that the, you know, the action was great and the cinematography was great, but the writing was bad. That just shows you don't know what writing means in a yeah. screenplay, in a, in, a, in a cinema production. Yeah. So, I mean, I, and I, I can tell people just as, as someone who's written a lot of scripts, like the biggest trick of screenwriting is to, is to write a, a script that's compelling to read, uh, in terms of that action, because there's a lot of rules you have to follow. You can't talk about inner monologues. You can't talk about like, Oh, the character thought this because you can't show that on screen, but you do need to make it colorful enough so that the reader can visualize it and picture it um, without kind of putting things on paper that you can't put on screen. It's a really tricky tightrope to walk 
because scripts can come across extremely sterile. Like if you don't have a good balance of like well-written action without uh, over expository, over like being overly expository in the action. Yeah. And, and it's one an of incredible the, type. One of the things long. that, that they do, or you can tell they do in this, this script, this world uh, that uh, D and D have been writing for a long time, much as the fandom now hates them is you can reference an expression that recalls an emotion by uh, referencing a scene that we've already seen before in, in the sure. script. And I think that in that table read, they do that where they're like, Oh, this thing happened. And it was, it was just unstoppable. more than the red wedding, more than, more than the, yeah. the red, you know, more than uh-huh. the, and it's, so it's like, it's, it's internalizing the feeling of it by recalling things that were also just as horrifying. Right. Yeah. Um, which again, it's like the, you got to work within those screenwriting roles and I've taken screenwriting classes and it's really fucking hard to, work within that language because it's got, you know, you've got like a shooting script and then you've got like the actual screenplay. Uh, and, and, you know, you, you can't do everything that people apparently think you can do, uh, you know, creatively on, uh, in the shot, you're almost unlimited, but with the words that are there to convey what the shot's going to be eventually, uh, it, it's, you know, extremely difficult. And I, I challenge anyone who uh, thinks the show didn't do it breathtakingly well to try to write a screenplay. You don't have to shoot it. It doesn't have to cost anything. Just write a screenplay. See see what you can do. And I'm not talking fan fiction, but write a real screenplay and tell me that you could write it better. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not, and I, and you know, I, and I know this isn't what you're saying, but I'm not one of those people who are like, oh, well, if you can't do it, then you have no right to criticize it. But also, like, I, I just feel like people's, uh, reaction is 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 extremely reactionary and and more so rooted in like and and i know this is like a bitter fight that'll go on for the rest of time probably with this show but it, it really is a lot more so rooted in we didn't get what we wanted we didn't it didn't go down the way we wanted it to therefore it's bad because that's this is where i thought the plot was leading and that's a problem that people have, you know, pointed out that almost every major show has, like you have shows like The Sopranos, yeah, like entitlement. And- it comes from entitlement of feeling like, well, I here's what I wanted, and here's what I got, and I got cheated. It's so fucking hard to end a series in a way. I mean, break and you know, and and I'll speak vaguely to not spoil things for people that are maybe watching these things later, but like something like Breaking Bad is almost universally renowned for its ending, but its ending was also fairly predictable. I mean, nothing crazy happened in that ending. So you can go predictable, which well, which a lot of shows do, or you could go, yeah, you know, challenging, and people, you know, and it's also always breaking, like Breaking Bad had like five major storylines to tie up, and I was amazed they did that. This show oh, had yeah. about five dozen storylines to tie up, <laughs> and and did I think even a better job, and you know, allowed some of those storylines not to go, uh, you know, left on closed but to leave it open to your interpretation or to you know assume that you had enough creativity to i don't know come up with it on your own or they tell you repeatedly throughout the show that it may not have an answer and that's okay because if the characters don't understand it you might as the viewer not understand it either there's things you're going to know better than the characters because they make mistakes and they live in a medieval time and you don't you have the benefit of science and technology 
there's things that they may have the answer to that is the wrong answer, and that's okay too. We sh- we see, uh, you know, Melisandre make horrible mistakes uh, that cost people their lives. Um, we see John make mistakes over and over and have to get rescued. People are like, oh, the Absolutely. the whole season seven was ridiculous. The whole plan to go north of the wall to grab that fucking one White Walker was a terrible plan. I was like, yeah, you're right. You're right. That was a terrible plan. They were yeah, desperate. John's they, fucking- and it was a terrible plan. And once again, John had to be rescued by a woman. Like, that's the thing. It's like, it's showing people make, I mean, the fucking, the hound throwing the second rock and inciting oh. all the fucking white walkers to come running was a terrible, stupid thing to do. This show is about everyone's in this character too. <laughs> right. Right, of course. I mean, just imagine if Sansa did that. Imagine if Sansa threw a rock and called, oh, yeah. what a stupid bitch. Right. But, but she would never do that. that. Her character would never actually do that. He's just no. such a surly fuck that he's like, I, I just no, need to do. I can't stand here and watch these guys wait until this thing melts. I'm fucking furious. I need to throw something at one of them. Just to, Yeah. Well, to if he had something to drink, he probably would have been fine sitting there a long while longer. I think he was out of, yeah, uh, of wine. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's like somebody had a whole list of all the things that I, I honestly couldn't tell if they were genuine or just like entitled like, yeah, but it was like, what was the point of Game of Thrones? So what was the point of John's lineage? Bran warging, warging during the Battle of Winterfell, Arya's face-changing skills, Jamie's arc, Bran and Jamie, Bronze subplot, the Lord of Light, the end of the Dothraki Unsullied, the prince that was promised. Like, what was the point of all those things? All those things like, had their... Had, wait, wait, I just want to go... Actually, that's funny, because I actually want to go through a couple of those in, individually. So yeah. Bran's warging, the, the culmination of Bran's warging skills were when he warged into Hodor and fucking you know totally ruined his friend's mind and realized that he managed to travel back through time and and fucking like corrupt his mind and it he i think for in a lot of ways that kind of like put him off of trying to warg into things anymore because he's like i i can warg into crow safely i'm not gonna warg into a fucking person or or, or a sent really intelligent creature anymore well like, we don't know that because they haven't shown it to us right and they haven't told us but that doesn't mean he can't do it right and no, yeah, he hasn't done do it. it. And if you believe the the theories that he made all of these things happen to become king, whether he wanted to be king or just knew that it was the right thing for the right reasons, he may have been going back thousands of years to make tiny little manipulations. You know, uh, you don't know. You really don't know how long he's been gone. And when, he, it, when he does this, you know, how much of the future can he actually see? We don't know. But but like the but no I agree but like the the whole notion that all of these different character uh, powers almost if you will or character developments are to serve the absolute end game of the season or of the series is is kind of ridiculous like that the culmination of Brand's warging uh, what I think was the was the moment with Hodor and he and he you know largely stopped doing it after that the culmination of Arya's uh, faceless man training or actually you know swapping the faces was fucking butchering all the phrase and you know since then she's uh really evolved as a character and that the the culmination of her actual arc was sandor you know telling her like you don't need to be this way you don't need to be like me you don't need to always seek vengeance you can find a better way like right it it wouldn't have been satisfying if after that she had wore someone's face and fucking assassinated somebody like no it would cheapen it it would cheapen it and besides it's like that wouldn't have worked against the army of the dead because they would want to kill her no matter who she was uh and and of course that wasn't going to work with with trying to get close to cersei because at that point uh that like who is she going to try to to impersonate 
there's like five people left in the whole red keep. So it's just, it's like, they don't think it through. They're just like, well, what was the point of that? If you have the, you know, you've, they, you've got level 20 dexterity and then you don't use it. What's the point? It's like you fucking D and D nerds. Like you got to look past the, the one fucking thing they did that you thought was badass that you would use in every fucking video game. You're, like you're not, that's, you're not watching a video game, right? You're watching a TV show and not every fucking, you know, ability, gets used in every fucking episode it's not airwolf where they fucking go fight bad guys with a with a fighter helicopter every single episode Mm -hmm. or voltron where they assemble a giant fucking robot every single episode you know like that why would you want to watch the show if that's what you need yeah and i mean and john's you know lineage led uh, led to the culmination of the entire series like the you know the fact that he had to be sent away even though he was the rightful king was was literally so that he didn't set off a war even bigger than the war of the five kings between all the dothraki unsullied and all of the north army you know and and whoever else was going to be involved at that point the dornish you know etc it's like that whole arc was him you know uh, he easily could i mean you know not in his character but easily could have been like you know what i'll just Maybe I can make it make things better with Daenerys. Maybe I can, I'll just, I'll, you know, serve alongside her king and queen, but he's just like, he had to do what he knew was the right thing to save the people of, of Westeros. He had to kill right. them because like, it the only if they, I think a lot of these guys just like they, their, their own insecurity and inferiority manifests as projection of entitlement for John to sit on that throne. They're like, well, I would do it. Cause that's, you know, if I was the, you know, it's like, you're not, you're not, that's the reason why you shouldn't get it is cause you want it. That's the reason why he'd be good is cause he doesn't want it. Do you not fucking see that by now? How many times have they referenced this on the show? that the best person for it is the one that is least like everyone else who's craved it for so long. Um, you know, weirdly enough, uh, Yahoo news has become like this receptacle for compelling theory about game of Thrones. And it's just like nonstop. And, there was this article, I don't even know who wrote it because they bury who writes things on Yahoo news where it just, they mm-hmm. grab it and they just embed it from some other website. Uh, and it was a whole article well-written about why, you know, why Bran was actually the, really the, the best one for it, no matter what you liked about the show, he was the best one for it. And it's, you know, it says, um, uh, George R. R. Martin has long been a fan of the, the William Faulkner maxim that the only thing worth writing about is the human heart in conflict with itself. And that's certainly apparent in his work with, uh, on a song of ice and fire. Countless characters in the saga are doomed by their own emotions. And that's particularly true of those who sit on the iron throne. Uh, Mad King Ares is destroyed by his paranoia. Robert grows bitter due to regret. Joffrey is too cruel. Tommen is too naive. And Cersei is too self-centered. It is as self-centered as it gets. In other words, every uh, past monarch of Westeros was driven to their downfall by some sort of emotion-based character flaw. And there's only one character in the entire saga who can no longer fall victim to their own emotions. As an emotionless shell of a being, I don't agree that he's totally emotionless, uh, that uh, is almost a man, Bran Stark might just qualify as the only sort of ruler that can break the doom cycle that Martin has created, a heart that can no longer be in conflict with itself. Yeah, no, that's that's really good analysis. I like that. Um yeah, and I, I, I mean, I think that's the ultimate uh, message of the story is that no man or woman deserves or is fit to sit on that throne. And the only person that they could put on the throne is this kind of quasi-human, you know, uh, 
uh, all-knowing being and and that you know that sets up a lot of interesting questions too that people have pointed out where like you know it, it seems great but also are, are you not putting maybe like you know in a modern parlance is that not like putting the nsa in charge of the u.s government you know somebody who's all-knowing and all-seeing well it's an interesting thing to think about I, like, I don't think he's that i don't think he's all-knowing and all-seeing and even when sam comes to him with the the knowledge or the or the the writings the diary that john is who he says he is he's like can you can you go see that and he's like i think so it's not like he can be all knowing and all seen. He has to be pointed in a certain he direction. To, yeah, he has to go look right. for he, it. He, he can't just like, you know, look at a library and automatically know what's in those books, right? I think, uh, again, going back to the the quiz that uh, Tyrion gave to Tommen when he became king, um, the one best asset is wisdom. And I think, you know, Bran has wisdom from what he has been able to glean from the world, and he does have powers beyond regular people. I don't think he's he's a you know the NSA or or CIA by any no, means. Um, I'm joking. But. Three eyed three eyed Raven is still can only see you know out of three eyes for the most part. But uh, you know there there is another dimension to it too. In in that even though they're saying in that that King's Moat scene that you know we're not going to do um, you know lineage rule anymore, uh, they're still not completely done with that idea because if you look at all the other houses, who has more of a right to sit there? than than bran i mean he's he's the 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 last surviving male stark and nobody else i mean the only other one is is basically um you know a, a an upvoted bastard of of a baratheon he's like the next closest one below bran who has any lineage to to sit on that throne yeah i mean obviously john had the strongest claim but, I, but for obvious reasons they, they figured he could at one, even even if he didn't even if he didn't want it and wasn't you know uh, this this object of like you know uh, like could set, would set off a war if he got put on the throne kind of situation but yeah you know beyond beyond john i think Tyrion would have had a decent claim since the last people that sat on the throne were the lannisters and uh, the lannisters weren't the ones that burned down king's landing uh, it was you know <laughs> the fucking targaryen so but like i but I, but bran but Tyrion knew that you know he wasn't gonna be able to swing that one his way and i i think he realized that bran was the most logical choice of all the people kind of gathered at that very point. logical very spock like if you kind of look at his his bull haircut towards the end of yeah. the show. <laughs> definitely very logical yeah, no, lots of lots of fucking haircuts by you know, <laughs> random Stark uh, wenches like just putting putting fucking like wooden bowls on his head and just yeah, little yeah. couple of little pointy ears sticking out of there. Yeah, <laughs> well, um, I mean, it's really I mean the House Stark is like the after everything that happens, who's left? House Stark is by far the most powerful house in all of of Westeros now, and if you look at where they were at the start of season two, they were pretty much just everyone's like Starks are gone. There are no Starks anymore. And, you know, talk well, about a, a, an wedding. ascendance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, after the Red Wedding, you're like, well, there's no more fucking Starks. <laughs> and then you look at where they end up. Everyone, you know, we, we kind of joked about the people that didn't like, um, you know, the second to last episode. And we quoted, uh, you know, Ramsey Bolton saying, uh, if you thought this had a happy ending, you're, you, you haven't paid attention. Well, then if you look at all the people that did get a happy ending at the end of the finale, it's like all of the Starks, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Uh, everyone who's still alive pretty much gets a happy ending. Um, you know, maybe not. Great worm he kind of leaves pissed off but uh there, oh there's a fan theory that um you know how they want to go to the island of, of uh what is it tarth is the name no. of it where noth. So, noth there we go oh, fucking 
appropriate. Okay. Yeah. Too many fucking words. Um, but there's a in the books apparently there's a curse on the island, and the reason why they're undefended but still never conquered is that there's like some kind of fever that kills anyone that goes there. Uh, I think you might have parried by the butterflies that are like native to the island. It's like yeah, you, yeah, yeah. like kill anyone who's not like born there and, and therefore exactly. Into it, basically. Which it's like which which came first that storyline or like the cowboy bebop movie storyline because it's kind of the same thing a plague carried by butterflies or a plague that makes you hallucinate butterflies kind of a thing i don't know i just i, I just know. noticed the parallel um, there so but you know but that's probably a show invention that the him going there because uh apparently misande is not nearly as big of a character in the books as she is in the show so like they sure. would have had that but so you know it, it is funny though <laughs> to think that not only did they Tri- you know we joked about them tricking gray worm it, you know that there was still a nice watch even though we we talked about how that's not really the case that they tricked him but uh not only that he's gonna go to this fucking island to like live peacefully and he's gonna die in like oh, three man. hours after getting there fucking, you know what? I, but fuck you know, fuck him he was he, he was a war criminal in that episode like i you know and, and I, I said it last week it's like i didn't want to hate a character like gray worm but the actions he took in that last couple of episodes kind of made him irredeemable you know like to 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 bad writing (laughs) yeah no (laughs) no none none of the fanboys have claimed that that heel turn was bad writing because of course it was a guy who was mad that his love got killed of course that yeah that's considered justifiable yeah and and of course and you know danny's turn was justifiable too to an you know justified in the writing you know whether or not what she did was obviously not justified uh same with gray worm it was like you know clearly established in the writing what would drive a person to do those things um but but (laughs) you know i initially mentioned the table read and i actually did want to talk about that a little bit so the uh two big takeaways from the table read were the um the scene where John finds out where Kit Harrington finds out that he kills Daenerys because uh, Kit Harrington uh, didn't read any of the scripts going into the table read. Like some actors, I guess, want to read them going into the table read. Some want to kind of experience it as, as it's, you know, as it's going to play out essentially like live in the moment. And he hadn't read that and his reaction, it was just like devastation. Like when he, when he actually get, when they get to that part in the, uh, table read and that was like the big meme that was making its way you know making the rounds uh, and amelia clark makes it hilarious like you know uh, kind of face like when that happens but because she it seemed like she had read the script beforehand and like he did yeah I, from the reactions it felt like most of the women had read it and most of the men hadn't i don't know if you caught that but yes yes a, a little bit like most of the reactions <laughs> were like Sophie all the Turner women were watching smirked. the yeah, Sophie definitely smirked. She, she read it. It was like every time like something happened and the focus is on like the guy's reaction, the women were all watching the guys like they knew already. Um, <laughs> which, of course, of course, you got to fucking look ahead and read and see what happens. I would have read. Yeah. But um, but it was just a really, you know, visceral and emotional reaction. It was really kind of an incredible thing for the for them to capture on, on screen, uh, you know, in, in that documentary. Um, and you could, and you know, a lot of people like projected their own bullshit onto that and were like, Oh, look, this is him being like, you know, he can't, he can't believe how bad the writing, like that was like a lot of the people were like, did you see that? Yeah, I saw that shit. Like how do people not recognize their own bias that much that you're projecting that? 
It's um, like, no, he, he's devastated that he had, has to portray this on screen because this is, you know, he, he understands the implica- implications of it for his character, you know, like. And, yeah, and, and it's like going to be a hard scene. What's a hard scene for us to to deal with emotionally, um, which, which, I mean, basically it's like, what, a five minute scene start to finish. Um, the, the actors have to perform it over and over and over for days and just you can't dig to those emotional depths and make it look good every time unless you're a person with such deep empathy that that's reading the words on the page are going to hit you. Whether it's like, oh, shit, I have to do this to like, no, that's not right. That's not fair. But that's, you know, that's what the story is, um, which I think all these people know <laughs> this is what the story is by now. If you haven't if they haven't picked up on it, I don't know what's wrong with them. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and there was there was many moments like that. I think the 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 more exciting moment was um, when they revealed that oh, Arya kills Arya. the Night King, because yeah. you know, I mean, Kit Harrington, you, he kind of joked about it, but I think a little bit he was like, yeah, that he thought that that was his thing, and all the fanboys uh-huh. thought that was his thing too. That was his by rights, and it's like, um, I didn't I didn't think that I you know like like Brand says he was exactly where he was supposed to be at the time. Um, but yeah, I, I liked it because everyone at that table was cheering for Arya. Like they understood mm-hmm. what that meant, not just to her, but to I think Him a too. lot of he young was, women. You could tell he was, he had like unbridled joy too when that moment came in the script. Like he wasn't yeah, at all like, what the uh, fuck? Absolutely. Like he was there's like, no, oh, there's no, amazing. yeah, there's no, there's no selfishness or pettiness among those people. They're professionals and they love each other. They've been working each other for 10 years now, obviously. But um, I think it was, it was uh, Rory who was probably the most, like, he was, like, pumping his fists in the air. Oh, Did you see that? Yeah, loved it. Like uh, uh, almost, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the fucking Wolverine Rose dad. Down, yeah. um, Leon the professional, the Natalie Portman. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, where yeah. he's just like, that's my little killer. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And, you know, that was, that was the thing that kind of got casually revealed in the action of that script, is that the way that she launched herself into the air is that she vaulted off a pile of dead whites. And Obviously, it was a lot better the way they showed it, where we didn't see her coming, and she just, you know, appears out of nowhere, out of the darkness. But that was just an interesting a note to explain how she, you know, launched herself that way. I just assumed she fucking Air Jordaned it, like you know, from the free throw line to the hoop. Uh, kind of oh yeah, and, and I thought maybe she dropped out of the tree, like uh, you know, until yeah, I went back and saw the shot where you see the the hair of one of the whites like whisk, like something went racing mm-hmm. by, and you know, anime rules. You get a running start. You can, you know, no matter how high it is, if you get running fast enough, when you jump, you can fucking you know shoot twenty feet in the air. Uh, so yeah, I didn't think that was implausible, but. No, uh, I mean, the, the, it was just cool to find out that that's no. how what she actually did. Uh, totally. Yeah. Um, I, I did love seeing the shot of, of you know, they showed all the, the you know, behind the throne scenes where she, she's on cables and, you know, the, the actor playing the Night King, the mm-hmm. stunt coordinator is like catching her and like how hard that was to do because, you know, the, she has momentum. Even if she's a little girl, like it's almost knocking him over and they have to make it not look that way. So they shot a bunch of boys. But then in this, we got to see that when they were actually shooting it, as they were rehearsing it, they had like a little plastic bonnet on her head. The way you'd put on like an old like an old lady would put, you know, on her walk to the supermarket. I don't know if you caught that. Yeah. 
Yo, yeah, well, they, they all were wearing those on set to, like, not mess their hair up, like, in between, like, when they were practicing for takes, but it was, it was really amusing, uh, uh, it was an amusing look for her as they were, like, practicing that yeah, stuff. It, it made her look more murderous, you know, just because it's like, <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> what's that on her head? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, from, from um, that cute little bonnet, these fucking murderous eyeballs. <laughs> we'll talk, we'll talk about Vladimir, because I have a lot to, <laughs> I, he was another character that I, I really appreciated uh, getting to follow, but, um. The other thing from that table read that was really interesting was Varys's reaction to his his death. Like he was, he seemed really like bummed out or like mo- you know moved, upset, whatever you want to say by his uh, death scene. Because I don't, I don't know if he, he, I think he was like, well, you know, when I made it to like the second to last episode, I probably gonna make it to the end. And then when he doesn't, it was like, oh fuck. Um, but that was an interesting because he also clearly didn't read the script beforehand. You know his his reaction seemed pretty oh, genuine. Oh yeah, moment. and you could you could see that the the ladies were trying to console him a little bit. But um, yeah. no, I think he was he was mad as though he was in character mad, like not oh, like yeah. he didn't like it, but you know, like this is it. You know, she if he really knows the character and he's had these doubts about who Danny was, he's like, okay, this is this is the proof to me that she's turning. You know, and when he says in the the, the line in the in the in the show, I hope I'm wrong. And it's like he knows he's not wrong, or at least he's, mm-hmm. he's expressing his hope he's not wrong. But um, yeah, and, and again, the, the people that hated the the season were like, "Oh, look, he throws the script down. That's proof he thinks it's bad writing." It's like, no, it's not. No, it's not. Stop projecting. Hey, close the script because his, his, you know, he had no more lines to read. <laughs> he was just going to sit back and listen. Um, yeah, but so that that was uh, really interesting. I would have loved to have seen every major moment from season eight. Just the people's reactions, you know. Danny burning King's Landing would have been a really interesting reaction to see to see Kit's reaction to that, um, you know. But but maybe one day we'll get that because they obviously have it on film. So oh know. yeah, I, I mean they might that might be like huge DVD content um, if we still have DVDs. Do we still have DVDs? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, don't, I'm getting, I don't know if anyone buys them other than like Ash, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, nothing against Ash, but uh, yeah, no, I don't, no, I'm, no, no, I'm, no I'm getting word that they no, do no, still no. make DVDs uh, and they still do do bonus content, so maybe we'll get like I a just whole know Ash always posts on Twitter when she'll buy like a new Blu ray that comes out. I'm like, oh, I guess somebody yeah, still yeah. buys Blu rays, <laughs> I just well, pirate them illegally, but I guess that's that's better yeah. to be supporting the industry. <laughs> Um, well, yeah. God, you know, I still have a collection of DVDs. I haven't bought a DVD in forever, but you know, uh, some of the director's commentaries or like cinematographer commentaries oh, on some of the things lot, I used yeah. to buy. Yeah. Like I would learn things that I never would have learned in film school. Steven Soderbergh said if they had DVD commentaries back when he was going to film school, he never would have gone to film school because everything he that's- would have learned would have been from directors talking about how they actually shot things. Yeah, totally. And and that's something I think Netflix like really needs to eventually work out is, is to at least put director's commentary over over the like the major movies on the net because there's so many there'd be such an easy patch to like add like one more like version of like you know a lot yeah, of their big movies. A little, it seems little like cog really in the bottom to... that you can toggle on and off subtitles, you know, easily could expand that. Maybe a couple more years once they get it up and you know get another billion dollars or something, they could yeah. get that going and they raise uh, membership you know. fucking prices again to like you know twenty four ninety nine a month or whatever it's going to be. What's it at now? Like eight dollars, eight fifty? God, no, no, now it's up to like. Account. <laughs> I, I want to say it's like fifteen now. I could be wrong. Oh, like really? It, it, I didn't check my bill for a while. Maybe, maybe it, it is, went up know. from like eight to like 
10 and then i think it's going up to like 13 but yeah they're they're, they're slowly creeping so that's disney plus is gonna really uh clean up when they come into the into the market at like six bucks or whatever it's gonna be a month they were mm. saying Mm-hmm. with a bunch of new content like that's oh for a and while. cbs really... you know they came out with this new star trek series that everyone's been very mixed on i watched some of it and i was like and eh, i don't know no, no, no. and now that yeah, uh, Pat- patrick stewart's coming out with a new fucking a new like the you know in in the chronological yeah. order of, of star trek it would be like the most recent because they keep doing all these prequels and it's like i don't care um now all the fucking star trek discovery haters are gonna have to fucking get the the, the cbs streaming service because <laughs> fucking patrick stewart i mean you, you can't top that guy i mean um yeah. so it should be good nothing else was grabbing me on there but i did almost want to get like a trial just to watch the twilight zone uh oh yeah revival yeah. That they put out but other than that nothing really grabs me but um yeah, so that table read uh, was was fascinating, and I'd love to see some more uh, scenes from that. Um, the uh, <laughs> did you catch that little uh, kind of jab at the people who are complaining about how dark the uh, Battle of Winterfell was? That Leonard Cohen song that they played. Uh, oh, oh, you know, I they did a couple songs in there that fit really great, and I, I had the subtitles on, but I, I missed the lyrics. And um, if there was a reference to it, you you should tell me. It, it was a song called you want it darker um and, the, and they played it during the scene and, and they didn't even comment on that but they, i think it was just kind of a, a funny little troll um and the the uh chorus to that song and they this is what they played like during the um uh, during like the the shots of like the behind the scenes from the battle of winterfell uh winterfell uh, there's a lover in the story, but the story is still the same. There's a lullaby for suffering and a paradox to blame, but it's written in the scriptures and it's not some idle claim. You want it darker. We kill the flame. And they were just playing the, you want it darker. We kill the flame part during the, um, <laughs> during like the behind the scenes of the battle of Winterfell. So yeah. people kind of took that as like a fuck you. To be- and by the way, you could see it perfectly fine in the behind the scenes. I, you know, I, 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 I haven't gone back and watched it more than the one time that I went back to watch it. And it's, it, I really didn't have an issue, but well, when it was live and it was buffering for everybody, it was rough. It was a perfect storm of like not great circumstances. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't have any problem. I was watching it live, you know, and just turn your monitor all the way up. It's there. Uh, as we've discussed several times, if it was, if it was difficult to see for you, it's because it was difficult to see for the characters in the scene. That's how the two fucking dragons crashed into each other. Even the dragons yeah. couldn't fucking see. So lighten up America, uh, and the rest of the world. I, you know, honestly, I would love to see the reactions because almost all of the negative takes I've seen are American. I've only, I've seen I've watched about a dozen videos that where it was like the massacre of Game of Thrones. It was like the D and D massacred this series. It's it's destroyed now, and every single one's been American and male. Um, I've seen like one negative review from anyone outside the U.S. Uh, and, and there are plenty of reviews from people outside the U.S. Um, sure. So, you know, again, I can't think of a more entitled country than the United States. So maybe that's that's part of our obsession, our narcissism. Uh, yeah. sense of self-entitlement but so um another character who was just phenomenal during this documentary was vladimir Furdick, uh aka the night king who's also it seems like the head stunt coordinator one of the head stunt coordinators for yeah, the entire the series he was fucking hilarious like i i'd love that dude's like energy uh, just you know the following him around his his kind of like uh 
like oh i've been the i've been a stuntman for 30 years and then you know now finally people are like hey you're the nike like it, he just loved every minute of like being famous like he went up to that crowd of people waiting outside the studio gate was like you know who i am and like yeah. five people were like hey it's the night king and everyone's like oh my god bro. <laughs> but he's like yeah it's well, the fucking night king. And he like took he probably knows that's the only time he's gonna get to do that you know uh-huh, maybe ever uh-huh. with 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 that many people because you know he's not gonna he's not gonna get invited to, to like a comic-con panel you know he's gonna be he, he might have a booth at comic-con but yeah he might be know. signing <laughs> but but like he's not some guy that gets recognized constantly on the street because every time you see no. him on screen he's like you know in full fucking face and head and whatever makeup you don't know yeah. who he is but yeah but it was just really cool to see a guy like that who's not such a recognizable person be super into his fame meanwhile like people like you know kit harrington are just so they feel so oppressed by their i, I assume by their oh, you know, Maisie williams because they the can't constant, they can't go anywhere and not be recognized yeah they can't do anything you know, go to the fucking and, supermarket and, and yeah imagine if you're trying to walk down the street and then someone yells are you dead or not and it, like every five <laughs> minutes it's like what do you fucking do when some stranger like, why'd you kill canaris <laughs> yeah like you know what it's a yeah. fucking tv show. everyone in, in it doesn't matter what show it is Pe- there are people out there that just they're idiots and they can't mm-hmm. discern fact from fiction and they can't look at somebody who's a famous person without wanting to go up and be belligerent to them um mm-hmm. because they think it's like oh that's my buddy i can go talk to him that way and it's like no he, you're <laughs> you don't understand you watch that person every week on tv they have never seen you in their life and they don't want to all right, yeah. so let them entertain you and let them live a fucking private life. I've never understood that. Like, I, you know, I've got to like go to like concerts or shows, whatever. And before the concert, I'd be getting, you know, a beer and some dinner. And like, there's the band before the show, famous touring band. And they're just sitting there and people are like walking up to them like, oh, can I get your autograph? Can I get your autograph? And it's like, they, they could you just let them eat? Just let them fucking yeah. eat. Like, let them do that after the show. Right. But right now they just want to fucking eat. And I would never do that shit. I never understood people that don't respect the privacy of people who have given you so much, have enriched your lives and you want to go bother them in in their free time. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if anything, if if it's a situation where they're not like out to dinner with their family, like in a awkward situation, just don't be a weirdo. Like just just be like, hey, I don't want to bother you. But just, you know, I I really appreciate the work you did. Whatever. Just like say something quick. Don't be a haunt. Don't be like, can I take a picture? Can you sign this? Like, don't. Yeah. Unless it's an event and that's what they're there for. If they're if they're there and it's like, yeah, you want to fucking photo with me? 15 bucks. You know, (laughs) I'm trying to make a living, too. You want to you want to have this happy memory and I want to get paid. Sorry, but, uh, you know, give give them give them back to the people that gave to you. Yeah, Jorah's got to eat, man. <laughs> um, but no. <laughs> um, but so uh, you know, he was he was fucking hilarious, and and they followed him. But I, I just thought it was really funny because everyone was like, "Oh, is the Night King going to speak? Is the Night King going to speak?" Can you imagine if the Night King was like, "Hey, I'm the fucking Night King," but like talking like fucking Count Dracula from like you know <laughs> the fucking thirties. Oh, well, he wouldn't even he, even when he was just talking to himself, he wouldn't shut up. He's talking. He was like talking to himself in the makeup chair about. Oh, he's very you know, chatty. He didn't like that. Uh, he, he was like, oh, I don't like that I'm getting killed. I don't like it. I think the Night King should keep living. You know, he should not be killed so easily. It's like, all right, guy, whatever. <laughs> he's just, yeah, he's, he's, he's just a fun guy. He's a very surface level guy. You know, like he clearly is not like, a, well, that was the other thing is like, he was clearly wasn't a super serious actor. He was a stunt guy. So it's not like if you gave him dialogue, he would have been able to necessarily pull it off convincingly, you know, like even if they modulated his voice so it didn't sound like 
oh, the guy he sounds like. Yeah, the, the, the people online are like, oh, he just walks up and doesn't say anything? Like, oh my God, you fucking idiot. <laughs> like, if people aren't talking, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what, <laughs> what way to look or people, who is what, I don't even know who that is unless words come out of the, the, the hole in their face. Yeah. Um, so that was, you know, uh, but, but he was fun. I, I liked him a lot. Yeah, I know. And, uh, he, he's like super into the show though, too. Like he would, if you look at his Twitter, he posts tons of video. Like that's where I first saw the Aria like stunt shot where like they had her up on the wires to like do the, the, the killing of the night King scene. Like they, he posts like really cool behind the scenes shots like that constantly. So that's, he's someone to look up on Twitter if you want to see more of that. Um, the, another really interesting uh, moment from that was they sh- the, the where they showed Sansa after the uh, Sophie Turner after shooting the scene where she puts the pin on Theon. She like was losing it after that scene. Like you could tell she was just really. I, I mean that that I think that just speaks to how good of an actress she is that she was that into the moment where she like could not handle right. herself after that. You know. Well, and I saw people screen cap that on on Tumblr and say, "Oh, I'm so I'm 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 crying from looking at how much she's crying, being into the moment of that scene." And if you recall what she says right before, uh, they cut to that she's talking to the director and they're she getting ready. And she's like, "I need a few minutes to get ready." Well, when you're going to be somebody who is an actor who can cry on cue, you're not really mm-hmm. crying on cue. You have to get yourself emotionally ready by per- thinking about something terrible from your real life, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that they're doing. When an actor cries on cue, they're recalling something traumatic from their own life, maybe something even recent, right? Yeah. So when when they show her under an umbrella and they're trying to like fix her hair and you know dab or whatever – uh, she's not bawling her eyes out because of Theon Greyjoy. She's bawling her eyes out because she's still in the moment of getting really fucking deep into like whatever real life trauma allows her to cry on cue like that, right? So that, you know, definitely testament to her work as an actor, but don't think that she's crying over the fucking scene because she's not, right? She's crying over yeah. something very much, much, much more real to her in real life. So, um, yeah. but yeah, still very, I'm, I'm glad they kind of threw that in there because you see a little bit of the, uh, you know, the method that people use for, for certain scenes. Yeah. And, you know, another just incredible uh, scene they captured was uh, Kit Harrington's last day on set. And when he was kind of, kind of talking to the troops, like he, you know, he talked to all the Stark guys that were there assembled. So, you know, obviously they shoot out of order. Uh, everything what? shot out of yeah, I know a bit shot. I mean, you know, unless you can help it, like so it, it's, it's a, it's a lot easier for people's acting, uh, to shoot in order, but it's almost impossible unless you're on like a really close set where you're in like one setting the entire time and you don't have any effect. Like it's almost impossible. So almost everything shoots out of order. So his last scene, it looked like it was maybe before the battle of King's landing or like, you know, like right at, like as they were preparing for it, but he was there. With the it was start. in the middle. No, it was the, they showed this, the shot they were shooting. It was the gray worm scene where they were, he was cutting the last. Oh, what's that? Was that the, okay. It yeah. was that. So, yeah. And I, I think they probably planned to have the last scene be a technically easy scene to shoot. Cause you wouldn't want the last scene to be like a really fucking exhausting scene. Cause you know, there's going to be speeches afterwards. Right. So you want to kind of like through, you know, if I was going to shoot the last scene of a, of a 10 year production, I would want it to be something where they're not just 
bereft and exhausted at the end of the fucking 14 hour day and then go, all right, speech, you know, like you, you you don't have have him kill Daenerys uh, and then like two minutes later be like, Hey, get that. Give him a half day and then, and do that. But yeah, I mean, Kit had this look on his face that we'd never seen in the show. He had this grimace on his face. Like it wasn't just sad. He had like an existential dread going on. And when he says the show has been my life, and I don't, I'm not sure if I want it to end. Like, it, you know, that hit me it, it, pretty hard. I think a lot of people that hit them hard yeah, him saying that. And then to find out like now he's in fucking rehab for stress and alcohol. Like, holy shit. Like he wasn't kidding. Like that, he wasn't just putting on airs for the, for the, you know, for the crew. Um, and, I mean, and, and yeah, you know, he's probably not, I don't think Kid Harrington's not a deep actor. I think they picked a guy who just was Jon Snow to play that role and didn't have the emotional armor to deal with the fame, obviously in a lot of ways. Uh, and I don't think many of us could. And well, I don't know. I mean, I, I actually thought that that moment revealed him to be a really emotional person. And so I'm actually very curious because sure. like, obviously the role of John called for a very stoic Ned Stark type character. I'd actually love to see him try to pull off a much more emotionally complex character not not that it but you know what i mean like a much more visibly emotional character like because i think he actually probably could do it if he if he can you know access it the same way that like sophie turner does but he i i, I always felt know, like his performance as john snow was restrained like he's holding yeah. back emotions that were there without well, that, uh, that's a what lot it of, called for yeah no a, a, absolutely um and, and that's and that's depth that that's depth obviously where you have yeah. the level of anger that you can see but that level of anger you can see implies there's like a rage underneath and they're holding it back uh it's amazing and, and that you never see him fully lose it like even even after killing Danette, like he never fully just like you know loses his fucking shit like emotionally mm-hmm. or angrily like it's it's an interesting you know, like during the battles, maybe it's kind of the closest, but even that he, he's, he just really plays it very, uh, very stoic, you know, which is again, what the character called for. But I, I think that would just be a really interesting thing to see him do some prestige dramas, you know, uh, some movies like really kind of try to. So I watched that little mini series he did on, uh, for HBO called Gunsmoke, which is about uh, some guy Falks radicals that, uh, try and fail to blow up parliament. Uh, and it's very much just like a Game of Thrones spinoff where it's like the costumes are more modern. It's like a 1650s kind of era, uh, but still like swashbuckling swordsman kind of stuff. Um, all the music sounds just like Game of Thrones, very violent and everything. But he plays a much more unhinged version of Jon Snow where he snaps really easily at shit for no reason. Um, not quite abusive father, but like very much just like I'm going to fucking, you know, berate my child till they cry and then storm off kind of a character and you're like eh, it's still sort of Jon Snow but a little, you know kind of a dick Jon Snow yeah uh, so I, I don't know we'll, we'll, we'll see it's not I mean it's it's by no means groundbreaking but it's only three episodes you know it's a very like very yeah. BBC miniseries kind of a thing I mean, I and we've talked a lot on this podcast about how people from big TV shows like this get really pigeonholed. But I, I really do hope he gets some opportunities to do some interesting things because I think a lot of people on this cast, you know, obviously Peter Dinklage is one of the best fucking actors we have right now, and uh, he if he doesn't do some, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say Oscar bait, but if he doesn't do some really uh, well written prestige dramas after this, like that is the biggest fucking waste of talent. Uh, I can imagine because because that dude 
is is just great at what he he's does. good um, he's good yeah i mean you know one of the interviews kit harrington did basically said look like i did this my entire 20s um peter dinklage started at 35 like he was already a formed human being this is not affecting him the way it affects me or some of the younger people who this is all they knew like the, yeah. this these characters altered who we are because we played them during formative years for so many of our formative years that now we're kind of like, like, who are we, who are we as, as people, not even just as being other characters, but like, who are we as ourselves? You know, that, that's gotta be, um, an existential fear of not knowing who you are. If, if all you've ever known is this character and all anyone else ever knows you as that character, uh, how how do you figure out what you want to do? I know there's a lot of actors that just walk away from it. You know, what, what happened to the guy that played Anakin Skywalker after those movies? Well, he didn't really get cast too much anymore because he was just so awful. But he tried like a few, uh, like, you, you know. know, he uh, he, he kind of redeemed himself towards that last one, I think. The less he talked, the better the, the role was. But he kind of just was like, look, you guys fucking hate me. All right, I'm done. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to go back to Canada, wherever I came from. Um, <laughs> he probably had enough money too from being like the main character of two massive, you know, billion dollar movies to like not have to do as much. I, I don't know. Who knows? I'm sure he gets tons of residuals. They play that shot in TNT like every fucking week. So, oh, um, yeah. but yeah. And I, I think a lot of people on the show probably like kid Harrington probably doesn't need to work constantly. Like I'm sure he made a lot of money from doing this show, you know, tens of millions of dollars probably, but um, you know, uh, he's an actor. I mean, these people are like a lot of these people, like Peter Dinklage is absolutely going to work again. I mean, he's been, it, it seems to definitely be a labor of love for him. He's done a lot of really good indie dramas. Like he's not somebody that's like, you know, in it for the money. Like he's done, you know, the, the X-Men movie. He did like the X-Men movie. He did, he's done a couple things just because of how prominent he became from Game of Thrones. But um I, I don't see him being somebody who just, you know, wants to take a paycheck. Obviously, um when you said X Men you meant Marvel, right? Avengers. Well, no, he was also in Days of Futures Past. Remember, he was like the little uh dude who created the Sentinels. Was he see again, I don't remember that one because it, it was there was nothing memorable about it. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Um the, yeah. of, of all those the that really bad string of movies that was probably the best one but that's not really saying much um yeah but uh no he was in though but like he but other than that i mean he he's done a couple like paycheck things but uh, you know everyone does but i i think he'll do some really good stuff um lena headley uh or lena hetty or headley Lena Headey. Uh, I always want to say Headley too because it sounds better. But <laughs> yeah, she's got a, she's got like a new crime series, crime murder caper series with the guy who plays uh, Jorah. They're together, so it's kind of like really? oh, no, no, fucking keep it going, right? Guys? Is it right like on, an guys. awful CBS one, or is it an actual? Like, oh no, 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 it's 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 BBC. It'll be good. It'll be oh, good wow. and dour and That'll fucking gray. Yeah, um, but you get to see her with her natural hair color, or at least her very dark dyed natural hair color. Um, but yeah, I would. She, she I, I fucking mean, rock that natural. She, she, I like as good as she looks as Cersei. She looks so much better. Like oh, natural. Yeah, she, she does. Uh, and, and I, and again, like they never had any scenes together, so that'll be fun. Because we're just gonna yeah. like th- those two are incredibly gifted at conveying shitloads of depth with you know just a fucking blank look, not a whole lot of dialogue. Um, 
Yeah, I, I'm very excited. I, just, I, I think a lot of these actors will always have work on British shows. You know, they may not be like huge high profile things that we see, but there's a huge market for good, well-written, character-driven drama, uh, especially with miniseries. You know, and we'll we'll probably see a good chunk of those on Netflix, especially if it's got Game of Thrones alumni. A lot of BBC stuff now finds its way to Netflix, even like gets extended onto Netflix for further seasons. So I think, yeah, we should definitely be seeing that. Um, and HBO likes to cast, to recast people that have been in like their big se- Like, so I wouldn't be shocked to see one or two of these people end up with a major role in another series like that, a new series starting up Uh, obviously not that it was on the same network, but you see Aaron Paul now coming into Westworld and that show looks like it's a totally different show and maybe a way better show than than the second season. Yeah. Um, I, I dropped off in the second season of Westworld because I was just like, all right, now it's, it's, it's turned into, into the badlands. I'm not really interested in this anymore. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, I, I don't think it needs to be saved. I think they just need to kind of like make it a little less um, of a nonstop fight scene. But, uh, you know, ultimately the, the, when I think about the characters or the actors that want to still do the show, I mean, why not just let that guide what the, what the spinoffs are going to be? You know, why not a, just a Jon Snow, Tormund, Explore in the North, series it doesn't have to be as epic in every fucking episode or every season has to be bigger than the last like let's just get 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 the fucking wolf back in there a little bit and let's you know do it do it up we'd love it yeah no absolutely uh i mean obviously aria i think is the series that we would all you know aria exploring the the the, what's west of westeros like would be an incredible series and oh which is why that won't won't happen because she's not doing it she's done she's not going to do another one for a long long time if she ever did it again you know, kid also said he wouldn't do it again, but you know, I mean, he's been through, he's, he's had a, a, a rough couple months. Uh, so or a couple, you know, however many months. So that might just be the, just, the just for the talking. record. If you, if they say he's in rehab for alcohol, he's in rehab for more than alcohol. Just, just, I want to put that Probably, out there. Yeah. More than <laughs> like, likely. clearly there's a, the alcohol is a catalyst for something. I don't want to speculate cause I don't do the gossip shit, but if they say it's alcohol, there's something worse going on that that, that yeah. is a bigger problem. But yeah, and when you have to work, you know, 15 hour days and do 50 straight night shoots, you know, sometimes you need something to, to keep like it could have just been something that unfortunately he kind of, you know, picked up trying to, to, to stay you know, energized to shoot this fucking show, like this, this monstrosity yeah, I, of an eighth well, season. Cause he know. broke his foot coming back. Cause he said the thing he liked to do to unwind more than anything was just go out and go out to the pub and drink with his coat, you know, with his crew, drink with the people that you work with. When you get done with a grueling day, it's like, how are you going to go relate to anybody else besides the people you just spent a 14 hour shoot mm-hmm. with? You want to go out in like the last three hours of free time you have and go out and get fucking pissed drunk with them. And apparently he came home into his flat and was locked out and tried climbing in the window and fell and broke his foot. Um, I don't know if this was this last season or a couple of years ago or what, but uh, I I vaguely remember hearing something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, no, I get it. It, It's, it's stressful. You want to go drink. You want to fucking, you know, you've only got a few hours to to have a drink before you got to go to bed and do it all over again. So you fucking slam them down as fast as you can. And then that you get used to drinking that way where you just fucking, you know, binge drink every night for a long time. So who yeah. knows? I'm just, I'm probably full of shit. Maybe it is just fucking hard liquor. Who knows? 
But in, but in any event, I, I think like him saying like he'll never do it again. I think like if they came to him with an offer to do it again, he would absolutely like. I just think he's you know really fucking bummed out and dealing with a lot of emotional you know stress right now. So I'm sure if he was offered it, he would do it uh, down the line. Um, but yeah, we got to give him a few years, all of them, give them time, do other projects before they realize that you know they got to come back to this one <laughs> where we love them more well, than so- anything. Uh, that's that's the interesting conversation I want to have about about prequels uh, or spinoffs, which which we'll get to. But there's one other thing I really enjoyed from the documentary, the ending, um, the ending where they have Andrew kind of like he he like leads Game of Thrones tours now, like through Belfast and stuff, which I, oh I think yeah, is, is fucking great. Like that dude. <laughs> little iPad with his pictures of himself on it were great. He's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, it's me and Stannis' camp. Look at me, I'm fucking freezing. Like, but um, he told this really funny joke. Um, he, he's like, oh, you know, I get a lot of I get a lot of American tourists on this. I won't try to do the accent, but he's like, I, I get a lot of American tourists on this uh on this tour and they asked me like you know they asked me about you know irish history and they're like oh you know how did the uh trouble start he's like oh it was when uh fucking jamie lannister stabbed uh king uh eris targaryen that was that was the start of the trouble, i think if really i was funny. irish i would be pissed about that but maybe i, would I, know. Laugh. I don't know i'd be a little little underwhelmed by that kind of thing even as, American, joke, even as a joke even as a joke yeah and as an american you'd be like what the fuck are the troubles <laughs> but God, um, yeah uneducated american but um but i i thought that was good gallows humor even though obviously it's not a funny situation <laughs> um but so this yeah so the whole idea of them doing like spinoffs of, of game of thrones is <sighs> the, the, we, we've talked about this on the show before prequels are inherently uninteresting like no matter how much awesome shit you show on screen and there's plenty of awesome shit in game of thrones lore there's plenty of awesome things with you know battles and like dragons coming you know across the narrow sea to 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 conquer westeros and all these interesting things and interesting people and you know i'd love to see like uh, on-screen portrayal long-term portrayal of regal of regar uh targaryen but like at the end of the day, you know what happens to all these characters. And if you don't know what happens to them, they're probably not that historically significant. We, we know what happened to these characters. I think with, with what they've talked about is doing like what, a prequel a thousand years ago where the lineage is so far removed that it you might not have any direct consequence between one story sure. to the next. And it could really be its own self-contained story where Star Wars like, oh, here's how the Medichlorians turned a pod racer into Darth Vader. You know, it's just like, I don't want to see that. I want to see a totally separate story within the same world and maybe it's so far removed we don't recognize much of it but it's you know it's if if he's got all these other books like why not explore it 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 pleases everybody i mean look i'm not gonna say like don't make them and i'm gonna watch them of course but i just think they need to really consider alternative like avenues outside of just prequels like if you want to do one prequel about the long night and the you know the last battle with the White Walkers because that's actually one of the few things in the books that is still kind of shrouded in mystery as to how the living defeated the army of the dead during the first long night and how they built the wall and everything like that. Um, I assume Mexico paid for it, but beyond that, <laughs> we don't know how the how the wall was actually built. Um, 
but beyond that, I mean, there's not a, we, we know Martin's actually done a good job of fleshing out thousands of years of lineage for all of these houses. So it's going to be really tough to create drama around characters where it's like, well, okay, they're going to lead to the creation of this house. And that, so, you know, I, I could see them doing a really interesting story about the long night and things like that in the prequel, but I do hope any future spinoffs end up being either concurrent stories and or later stories. Like I, even if it's, you know, a hundred years later, like, oh, but I, I, you know, I'd love to see the, sure. the immediate aftermath or like, I, and I don't care about the lineage aftermath. bullshit. The people that are, you know, that, that wanted that out of the same people that, we're like, oh, who is Ray from Star Wars? Who are her parents? We have to know. That's the whole story. It's like that doesn't fucking yeah. matter. That's not a theme, right? Should be able to boil the entire theme of any story down to a single word, right? And if the 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 single word is you know family tree, that's not a story, right? That that's uh-huh. the might be the plot or people characters that are concerned overly concerned with their own lineage, but that can't be the theme. Right. If if you had to boil the theme of Game of Thrones down to one word, what do you what would you say it was? I mean, I'd probably say power, like if I had to say one word. But I mean, you, you know, there, it's obviously more complex than that. But I mean, that's everything on the series revolves around uh, characters attempts to gain power, characters attempts to gain legitimacy. Maybe legitimacy would be a better word. I don't know. It, it's an yeah. interesting or rejecting power. But yeah, I think it still revolves around the idea of, of power and the different forms it can take and and how towards the end we we strive to, you know, have a, a, a real introspection about power. The characters have an introspection beyond just we all want one thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, but it can't always be that because if every spinoff is just about people lusting for power, you know, that's that that won't do it for me. Um, yeah. The 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 sort of the the spinoff story with the hound where he tries to explore friendship for a while. And that doesn't go so well because <laughs> the the people kill all of his new friends like the, you could do a whole series from the point of view of people that have, you know, the when they talk about like it does, the, all the, the millions of people Westeros that don't give a shit who lives on, you know, who sits on the Iron Throne. You could do a whole series about that where the all the, the sword and fucking armor and shit is just the backdrop to the drama of people's daily lives. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, just imagine how the, how the fucking fanboys would hate that. They're like, what's the point <laughs> of this? Where's the monster fucking dragon fight battles? Yeah. yeah where are all the burning innocent civilians uh it's just but, like so. italian neorealism there's no there's no fucking there's not even a, a, a protagonist and an antagonist yeah i i think the most important thing with the spinoffs or with with it, whatever comes next in that universe is good showrunners and good writers with an actual vision and a story they want to tell and not just this is what we're going to do because it's going to be super profitable we're going to cash in on the biggest pop culture franchise that we have you know hbo has uh they need to make sure that it doesn't suck because that also i think they know you know inherently obviously their first goal is to make money and they know that if they create a subpar spinoff that it's going to really depress interest for future spinoffs i mean they they see what they saw what happened with solo and, you know, I, I thought Solo was pretty good, but there wasn't a ton, you know, there under the surface. And that really hurt yeah. their plans going forward to keep making Star Wars movies every 10 fucking minutes. So like that. And they had to say, like, we're going to take a break, you know, after 
uh, right. Rise of, Rise of well, Skywalker, so. exactly. Again, it's like, is there anything? Solo's okay, but do you remember anything of it uh, really. later on? Mm-hmm. Not really. It's, it's just a fun, you know, like it, it, it was well made. Like it wasn't awful, but it wasn't, you know, there was nothing. There were no, like, you know, for all the people that criticized Last Jedi and for all the actual problems that did exist with Last Jedi, it touched on a lot of really interesting and challenging themes. Like I can't say that at all about solo you know i could i can't think of a single no thing that solo was about other than this is how amelia clark's eyebrows are the most memorable thing there um you know and and i get it i you oversaturate any market with a story and it gets cheap right i think even with season eight people overhyped it in their own minds and in as good as it was as as flawless to me as it was uh you know i I can't take it for granted because I remember how it felt my heart fucking racing the entire battle of Winterfell. I've never had an episode of TV or a movie do that to me. And to have that happen late in life, or, you know, let's say halfway through life when you think you've seen everything and you think nothing can affect you, especially if somebody went to film school and has made films before, uh, to see it done to the point where you completely forget it's not real. You know, that again, it's the it's the music, it's the writing, it's the acting, all of it working in concert. But it all comes back to what was on the page originally, right? How do you yep. convey what's on that page? Um, the 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 entire isolated music score for season eight is on YouTube now. It's a, it's like Incredible. one hour and fifty nine minutes, and it's amazing because you know the house themes are all there, but they change it up so much in this this season where it's so much more morose. It's so much more tragic. I mean, the House Stark theme already is like the most tragic theme. Uh, the, the House Targaryen score is tragic, but also just terrifying. And they've completely revamped that. But then the pieces of music that are, there's like the, the piece of music um, from the, the Battle of Winterfell when they're waiting for the Army of the Dead. And there's just mm-hmm. like that that percussion just like... That was like the the carpenter kind of like oh, very very alien too, very much like the the original Alien score, yeah. where you're waiting for this monster in the darkness and you don't know where it is. Um, they brought in synths then, on that even, which which is not something you hear. They, on, uh, they did, ever, I think, or, on that show. or right before Danny attacks uh, King's Landing. There's these weird vamps. I don't know what instrument it is. Like it's like a combination, but it's like these this like rising arpeggio really fast. Just it sounds so unlike anything else in the score, uh, in the whole show. And you and you listen, just listen to me, just the fucking music, and tell me it's not the fucking best season. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and and of course the absolutely iconic uh, score that that he composed that Ramon Dishwani whatever. I, can't remember his exact pronunciation composed for the uh final scene from the battle of winterfell you know with, with the with the piano with the slow walk from oh the yeah King. It, it, and it's such a callback to the to the cersei uh light of the seven blowing up the, the high sept thing yeah yeah um and then it relies on the piano to really drive it uh that you're about to watch like a world-changing thing happen yeah just phenomenal and then like the last 20 minutes or so are these very, very quiet versions of all the house themes um, as we kind of like see these characters for the last time. The, the whole score is, is presented in linear order uh, of what takes place throughout the entire season. I would definitely recommend people find that and just listen to it uh, just for, for the moods it captures. And, mm-hmm. you know, 
embrace it more. Stop hating. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think ultimately just, just brief, briefly to talk about the legacy of the show, you know, while we're still on here, um, uh, you know, this season was obviously divisive at the moment. I, I think this is something that's going to age a lot better uh, than than other devices. I mean, even you look at a show like The Sopranos now, and that's not nearly as divisive as it was at the time. I think there's just that immediate knee jerk when a show ends where it's like, I'm fucking bummed out that the show's over. There's no more of it. I've I've lived with these characters for a decade now. And like, I, you know, I've I've wanted these things to happen for them and to happen to them. And yeah, maybe they did, maybe they didn't, but this isn't exactly what I wanted. So I'm dissatisfied with this. But then I think a lot of people reevaluated the ending of the Sopranos or the ending of other shows that they, they really, you know, didn't like it. And this is not to say that no show ends poor. I mean, Dexter is one of the worst fucking endings in, in the history of television, you know, uh, but even a show like Lost, I mean, I, you know, I, I know I probably get a lot of fucking heat for this. I don't think the ending of that show is nearly as bad as people remember. Like, cause I've watched, rewatched that series since, and it's, it's not as bad. That's all I'll say. I don't, I don't want to go, you know, into a deep dive on Lost, but I, I think people really misread the ending of the series, uh, in any event. But I think that, I think any series with time with people, when people have time to absorb and remember all the amazing things that they experience watching that show over that five, six, seven, eight, you know, 10 years of their life. When they remember all those amazing moments that the show gave them, they kind of reevaluate, you know, the series as a whole and say, you know what? That was really fucking good. Like I I was just really wrapped up in my expectations and my uh, theories and my, you know, whatever. But really that was a fucking great story they told. So I really think this is, that's going to happen with the right. show. And, and right now the narrative has been pushed for the last two weeks by people who are just YouTube jockeys and they want to drive up clicks as much as possible. So they're stepping over each other to write the most uh, incendiary takedown. Yeah. The, you know, D and D massacred this series. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, and then later on, you get the more thoughtful analysis by people who are scholars of film and take time and take notes. You know, like Bernie Sanders, before he does a rebuttal of Donald Trump, is sitting there taking notes and takes like two hours to write it. Um, it's not pre-recorded bullshit. Um, it's thoughtful. It's nuanced. It, it you know, it's referencing different movements in film and, you know, going back and finding parallels between things that you're not going to see or notice in the first 10 minutes of, you know, after you watch an episode, uh, noticing the patterns, you know, when they, when they have repetition, they create a pattern and then you break the pattern on purpose. And then people go, where'd that come from? It's like, well, here's what led up to that change in pattern. You know, this is what developing a show this big involves. You can't be a bad writer and write this show. It just like, they would, it just wouldn't happen. It, if they brought in two new guys at the very end, who were like, Oh, uh, we don't know what to do. What if the dragon melts the chair? Oh, that's cool. Like then I would be like, yeah, okay. They didn't think this through, but <laughs> you know, we know that that throne was forged by dragon fire. We don't see it. So people forget that that happened, but that's exactly what created the damn thing. Right. So whether that dragon knows that, that you know that story or not and maybe they do because maybe they do have a psychic link with their own history who knows um clearly there's an intention there 
and people, you know, have, have had wildly differing th- fan theories about w- either that's the smartest dragon or the dumbest dragon. <laughs> and some of that was comical, but still it's like, yeah. okay, yeah, we don't, we don't know. We don't know to what extent their, their intelligence is just, you know, a knifey chair killed mom with knife versus, uh, that is the, the source of all evil in Westeros. So I'm going to melt it. So it's no longer a conflict with uh, my mother who made it get maybe getting resurrected uh, by the, the red priestesses and knows exactly where to go take her. We, we don't know. I love that they leave so many things open-ended, not because they didn't know how to write it, but because they trusted that we could come up with different ideas. And that would in itself would get us excited about uh, more stories they might tell in this universe, you know, and, and, and I guarantee like if they do a, a, a sequel, they're not going to tell us what happened with Drogon and Danny. It'll totally not touch that. And people will then be pissed. Like they still didn't tie up that fucking thing. <laughs> it's like, let it be a fucking legend. Let it stay a legend yeah. in your own mind. You know, what is wrong with that? It was, it was also the perfect ending for her character. I mean, like what, what the fuck do you want them to like, you know, bring her back as like zombie Danny. And then she comes back and burns. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, come on. Like, no, that's, you know, uh, people. Uh, yeah. I, I think people have a hard time just kind of letting go of, of of certain characters if if it's not you know to their satisfaction like obviously you know a lot of people wanted to see john on the throne but it's like well john didn't want to sit on the throne he said that the entire series you know he ends up doing what he wanted to do just go fucking chill in the north in the real north with with Tormund. you know fucking range around have adventures you know shack up with a couple of uh nice wildling girls like have a fucking quiet life where he's not the king in the north and the fucking ruler of the seven kingdoms and you know has to lead people against against the army of the dead like he doesn't want to fucking do that anymore he wanted to be a ranger not a soldier i mean everyone forgets that he wanted to be like his uncle benjamin and be a ranger and you know not just be constantly a war he wanted to go out and do first aid to people who are you know uh (laughs) fell off a a, fell on a tree stump out in the woods uh every single one of them gets to do what they wanted you know, Arya going out to explore Sansa's Queen yeah. of the North. Um, you know, Bran gets to be king, not necessarily because he wanted to, or maybe he really did. We don't think so. But, uh, you know, the, his, his small council are all doing what they wanted to do, right? And doesn't that matter more? Because aren't we closer to, to those people? Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't understand the pathology of somebody that wants something purely so they can feel like they got to experience it as themselves versus somebody who is like, yeah, no, that's what the character wanted. The character got that. That's what satisfies me is seeing people I care about or characters I care about get what they wanted. Yeah. You know, I, I don't understand that kind of self-entitlement of somebody who is is like, oh, no, this person should have been that and this person should have been that. Yeah. So, you know, I, ultimately, I think people's people are going to are going to kind of come around on on the eighth season the same way they came around the seventh season i remember people bitching pretty heavily during the seventh season they're like oh this is this is ridiculous they just fly from one place to another everyone's jetpacking around and it's like yeah that's that's a lot better than having to wait 15 fucking you know episodes for a person to get from dragonstone to king's landing like i want to see them fucking you know, move the narrative. Like I want the, the I want the fucking pace yeah, to pick to, up the pace. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't think they remember either because uh, unless somebody got captured repeatedly, it didn't take them that long to get from place to place. It usually took two episodes if they were just traveling uninhin, un, you know, unimpeded. Um, I think they think that because, you know, Bran was just wandering around North of the wall uh, that that's how long everyone took to get anywhere. 
which is not the case. Um, Jamie and, and, uh, uh, Brienne got captured a couple times and that still took long, like four episodes to get where they were going. Uh, <laughs> and they took a little honeymoon trip in the hot tub too, uh, yeah. to, to stall there. Uh, so yeah, it, again, just if people are listening to this and you're like, that's not the way it was, it was the way I remember. Go back and rewatch the whole fucking series because I guarantee you're going to see shit in a totally different light. Well, also a lot of those in those seasons, a lot of those people weren't like traveling constantly. Like Daenerys, like got to Marine and just fucking stayed there for a long time and like was like ruling there. You know, like uh, most of the Starks weren't traveling most of the series. Like that, I think people yeah mix it up because of how often like you'd see john at the wall but it's like well that's where he's that's where he is like a lot of these characters were you know the big the big criticism is like hey well danny was in marine for a long time which i agree but also they didn't have any source material to go off of after she got to marine like the last thing that they have uh in the books of daenerys is her getting captured by the dothraki like so they did they had to make all that shit up out of whole cloth like the whole her meeting and like uh, so you know, I think that they tried to kind of uh, get the series to the end game to the point where they knew this is what was going to happen with Daenerys and then this was going to happen. Like, they didn't have a ton to go off of. So they, I think they did what they could with Well, and, with and it's weird how much they blame D&D and not George Martin for that. For like, not finishing what did you want them to do? Just stop the show for 20 years? We don't even know if he's ever going to finish them. How old is George Martin? He's getting he's old. like in his sixties. He's not in great shape. You know, no, not, no. Not, he not the guy, but like interested not, in doing it. Yeah. So like, let, like he's let the show be the show. Thirty more years. You know, let the show be the show. Let the books be the book, and don't judge one based on the other. I'd much have a of a show loosely based on an outline than something that's like painstakingly adapted and constrained by the words on a book. Like it might be a great book, but it doesn't necessarily make it a better show. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, and you know, I'll, I'll, I haven't read the, like the, I read the first book, but I haven't read like the other books. They're really fucking long and it's really hard to find time to do that when you're working full time as most people I'm sure know, but I'll eventually read the books and I think it'll just be an interesting way to further flesh out character motivations and other things like that. And if the new books ever do come out, I'm sure a lot of people's criticisms of motivations and actions in this season will be, um, tied up a lot better to the point where they'll be like, oh, okay, I see why that happened. Like, oh, I see why Bran became the Night King, or why <laughs> Bran became why Bran became the king, or why you know Daenerys decided to burn King's Landing. Like, it's pretty obvious if you watch the show, but I think it'll be even more obvious once you read her motivations and w- once you see on. I-, I assume that you know Martin when he gets to that in the book is going to talk about what was going through her head at that moment. And a lot of the things that we theorized are probably going to end up being what well was actually, you know, if you need the, if you need the book to tell you, you need the, like, yeah. what they're thinking, you know, like you need to spend more time watching good cinema and less time playing video games because everything is there. I, I watched a review today. They were complaining that nobody wants to see a, a, an awkward scene where people are just, you know, sitting there not talking to each other, not knowing what to say. It's like uh, if that's what the scene calls for, because the characters are feeling awkward in that scene, then that's what you fucking show. Uh, when what I was in film school, 
I, I, who knows? They're, they're like, there's a dinner scene where people aren't talking because they're, they're, it's an awkward scene. It's like, that's because mm-hmm. they're not, that's because you're supposed to feel it's awkward because the characters feel awkward because they don't know what to yeah. say. There's so many moments in season eight where it's like, you have the sense that everything that's been said has been said and everyone knows that they can't change the other person. This isn't season four or five where they know they still have some, some, some play where they can convince Danny not to murder people anymore they know they're past that point and they it's all about like just looks and understanding that the, you know, the die has been cast. Um, I, I had a film school class all the way back in community college, like literally over 20 years ago. And we watched this film in Af- uh, Afghanistan made film, Afghani film um, about um, the, uh, like a 10 year old girl being sold as a child bride and how awful that was. And at the end of it, like they had combined our class with this other class that wasn't a film class. It was like a literature class. And our class was all about like, you know, artsy, depressing documentaries and whatever. This other class they brought in, there was this fucking asshole that when the lights came up, he goes, that movie was depressing. What was the point of that? <laughs> and, and it wasn't my teacher that said this. It was his teacher who thought he was totally online said, uh, maybe you thought the movie was depressing because the events that take place in it were depressing. <laughs> Did you think about that? He's like, yeah, why would I want to watch that? And he got up and walked out of the room. And I was just like, you fucking, ass, fucking idiot asshole. Like, why are you in a film class? Like, what the Yeah, well, he is- wasn't in a film class. He was in like a literature class that was sitting oh, in with okay. our class. It was like a big auditorium thing. Why are um, you but, in college? Should have been, should have been yeah, why are you in college? Like, do you, do you not realize this is the effect of, of U.S. foreign policy to like arm dictators that then take over and become a the- theocracy and fucking sell children off to be wives and shit? Like, you know, th- this is the result of... of the actions of your government, you should see this shit. Like you more than anyone should have to f- be forced to watch this shit. No one um, even saved her at the end. Like what a what bullshit. Like nobody. Yeah, even, like, they didn't. They, no one saved her. And he's like, well, why didn't anyone fucking risk? Why didn't the fucking the you know seal team six come save her from the because that's not the fucking way the real world They're the ones works. who put her there fucking more exactly. like yeah. I mean, like. Um so yeah the the idea that if a scene feels awkward or depressing that it shouldn't because you didn't like to have to feel that emotion along with the characters in that moment. Again, go play a fucking video game, dude. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you know, but, um, I mean, ultimately I, 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 you know, I'm really happy with where the series ended up. Uh, I don't think that we're going to get something this, this, this lush of, uh, in terms of like storytelling and in terms of just, amazing spectacle and character work and all the all these uh, this perfect storm that made this the most popular show you know on television maybe of all time it's going to take a long time for something to to get that good so i i really you know there's a lot of shows on the horizon that i'm interested in we talked about a lot on the show but um i i appreciate what we got out of this show like I'm, i appreciate the experience to the last like decade of our lives that the show's been around um so it is going to be a it's going to be like a challenge to find another show that you know engages us this much i bet it will Uh, be nearly as long as we think it will be like to to top this we're thinking 25 years right and i bet it's being written right now you know it's not going to be this it's not going to be fantasy and dragons and castles and bullshit there'll be something else where people are just like no one's ever done this before no one's ever thought us before Mm -hmm. this is on another fucking level and, you know, maybe it's a genre show, maybe it defies genre, maybe it's just nothing like that, you know, but 
Um, but this is how you push the art forward. This is how you do something. You got to keep pushing the envelope and yeah, you'll have people that are exhausted at the end of the day, mm-hmm. uh, for, for the, for the art that they created. Um, but you know, why else do you watch it if not to see yeah. something new? Yeah, definitely. You know, it's a lot of fun shit coming down the pipeline. Obviously, the Watchmen series looks like it could be really interesting. Stranger Things is coming back. and I mean, not that that's nearly as complex of a show, but I, I always fuck enjoy the shit out of my eight hours of watching, you know, Stranger Things every time it comes around. Um, it's it's always an enjoyable experience, you know. Except for that one episode. Uh, well, yeah, with that, we, that's, we, don't, we don't talk about that. That's the episode that must not be named. No. Um, they, they really got to put like a subtle in joke in this in next season about how fucking stupid of an idea that was. Um, hopefully that that whole plot doesn't come back with like all the other fucking X-Men, you know, coming around. Oh, God, it was so bad. Ooh. What are they like, thinking? Yeah, but, <sighs> yeah, you know, they're, they're, that was like, I think that's literally the first major thing that those two dudes have ever worked on. So I think that was very much like a feeling themselves type, you know, like... <laughs> Uh, it's kind of amazing that two guys who have never made anything of, of note in terms of like major productions managed to pull off such an, uh, an insanely uh, well done series, you know, not that it's like an amazingly written, but like, you know, it's just, it's just a really well done, you know, nostalgic series. So it's kind of amazing that those dudes managed to even pull that off. Um, so if they, if they have some shitty episodes, I'm like, ah, they're fucking rookies. Like they've written less than, you know? Yeah. Now, if they had directed ready player one, you'd be like, okay, this is what the fuck. (laughs) (laughs) No, instead we have an art tour, like Steven Spielberg, uh, do something fucking, yeah. Like let's just rip, Um, rip, rip off your own zeitgeist. Look, I, uh, we, we could have a whole other conversation about Steven Spielberg because I, I, I've, I've had this argument with my friend Steve for years who he thinks Steven Spielberg's a hack. And I'm like, look, you're fucking nuts. Like Steven Spielberg has made some of the now? You know, greatest. Now he's a hack. Well, no, sure. <laughs> I mean, he hasn't made, you know, I, I can't think of the last, you know, great movie he's made. But I, I love like, you know, of course, his, his uh, you know, Close Encounters of the Third Kind is like one of my favorite movies of all time i think that's such a great well, that was like 15 years before you were born <laughs> yeah no i know 1976 yeah. or something it's, but it's been a minute um, it's been a minute no but he's i mean he's, you know he did et after that was amazing uh he did schindler's list in the 90s he did uh fucking i actually really liked hook i know i'm probably in the minority but i was also a kid when that movie came out so i think I, that's a bit of nostalgia sure. goggles on that one um but, but yeah, yeah. Um, and we talk shit on hook we're gonna we're, we're gonna have words <laughs> we're gonna throw fists well i, I know we've talked about it a couple times on the show but if you want to look for a director that has never lost the ridge i know that uh, some of those movies are way too bro bro guy friendly fucking martin scorsese go watch his film silence about the fucking the the uh, jesuit priests that go to feudal mm-hmm. japan I, heard that I didn't see that yeah I you won't you won't even know you're watching a scorsese film because it's so far different. Like it's the closest thing you could, you could put it to would be last temptation of Christ. But even that movie's like kind of goofball. Uh, this is like, you feel like, um, silence by Scorsese. You feel like you're watching a Terrence Malick film. Honestly, yeah. it's, it's that fucking artsy, but it doesn't go off the rails where you're just like, wait, was this a, like a, a fucking cinematographer reel or an actual movie? Cause I can't even tell, you know, tree life by Terrence Mack was just kind of like, all right, this is almost a movie maybe. <laughs> um, 
There's but pictures yeah. and sounds. I, <laughs> yeah, you know, there's voiceover of images of Brad Pitt pushing his kid on a on a fucking swing. But uh, yeah, but check no, it out. Scorsese, Scorsese, I don't think ever really lost. I mean, he was you know, Departed is one of my favorite Scorsese movies, and he made that like you know, forty years into his fucking career. Oh yeah, you know? and he still draw drew on every trope he'd ever done, and still made something more original than almost any gangster film ever made. Yeah, yeah no, uh, yeah, and and it never gets it gets boring or gets tired, and that's still kind of like his his remix of his Wolf own. Wolf of Wall Street's like one of the funniest fucking movies ever made, and that's yeah. you know how many years yeah. into his career it came out. And, and his awful and his toxic masculine type you know characters, he always knows where to kind of like pull it back so you don't completely hate them even though you really should hate them <laughs> for all yeah. of the terrible things they do so yeah I, I i don't think that you can't still do amazing things late in your career which is exactly why i think spielberg has fucking lost it he just doesn't have it anymore yeah. um he, he's busy, Tarantino. busy trying he, to sue netflix so they can never win an oscar oh you know not, yeah, not i mean netflix, that was so but uh, yeah, well, but like streaming, no, yeah, no, no, no filmmaker who doesn't have a billion dollars for distribution that gets a deal through Netflix can ever get an Oscar. Like, what a prick! What a prick! I know. And and by the way, that came like a month before we found out that he has a deal now with with Apple's new streaming service. So he's going to produce right. content for them. But but Netflix, God forbid, they get allowed to be in the Oscars. Well, and, and, you know, we've talked about this a little bit, but like, like back when cinema started. In a big city like, you know, uh, New York or Chicago or Miami or L.A., each different company had their own theater. There was the Paramount, the MGM, sure. uh, you know, e- each one had their own theater that only showed their movies. So now, indeed, in the Oscars, like Netflix has like a theater in New York and L.A. just for Oscar consideration. Right. And that's kind of still kind of cool because like, I'd love to see a ton of stuff on Netflix on a big screen that you can't otherwise. Right. Sure. So why not do it um, if you have a market that big for it? But you know, it, like the idea that it can't, if, if it doesn't exist in a theater and I'm all for theaters, God, I fucking love going to the theater. I, yeah, me too. That, that if it's not in a theater, it can't be considered for like the biggest film award in America. It's somehow less legitimate. Fuck off, crazy. Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck that. That's crazy. Yeah, no, it's crazy. And it, it's, 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 you know, an old man out of touch clinging to his, his, the dying embers of, of a very specific, you know, type of way of looking at, hollywood so i mean you know whatever i mean he's he's obviously going to lose that battle um long term whether or not the academy you know goes along with it because of his clout now it's that's not going to be an option in the future because streaming is the future and people don't fucking have time and or money nowadays with the economy being what it is to go to the theaters all the time well they they still do though that it's it is a recession-proof industry as much as people pay for streaming they still want to go to the big theater they still want the experience there are of certain it. Things. Yeah. Um, you know, but, I mean, fucking what did Avengers Endgame made, you know, more money than any oh, movie you'll, I mean, ever you'll, made before. You'll always get people to go watch the big fucking spectacle in the theater, but sure. to get really well made and Netflix, you know, they've been hit or miss with their original films, obviously, but. Uh, you know, there's a real opportunity for them to really fund some of these mid-level awesome uh, comedies, dramas, action films that used to get made all the time in the eighties and nineties that just don't get made now because they're not, they're in that horrible middle ground where they're, they're too expensive to be indie movies, but they're not nearly expensive enough to be uh, tentpole, you know, action superhero fantasy movies. Right. 
and they just don't get fucking you, made anymore. Yeah, I mean, so you got got you know, even if you make a, mil, a movie for sixteen million and it's an art house gem, you got to have another hundred million for, for nationwide distribution. That's why almost yeah. every quote unquote indie movie is just like the most predictable, safe. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's Oscar like, Oh, it's quirky because the, you know, like there's like a Patton Oswalt bit where he talks about the, what indie movies means back in the eighties versus now, where it was like mm-hmm. the eighties, it was like, you know, fucking dude on jacked up on fucking meth bashes a guy's head in, uh, you know, with a hammer. And it's like, yeah, that's yeah, fucking our house. And now it's like, Oh, they're dating and she's quirky. Cause she has a pet otter. Whoa, that's crazy. Indie movie. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, fucking Halloween was an indie movie when it came out, and now it's, you know, a mega fucking tentpole franchise. It's like the, the industry is just completely shifted away from making things like that, which is a shame because you, you don't know if you're going to, we're ever going to get like those types of movies, right? You know, funded anymore. Uh, and that's the well, real trick. Is so, so we've like, talked right? a bit about how we think that on, upon further reflection, the world will look differently on the last uh, couple seasons of, of uh, Game of Thrones, especially the last season which I emphatically believe is the best season because uh, they follow the rule of cinema, which is show it, don't tell it. You don't need a ton of expository dialogue to explain what is painfully apparent on everyone's face. And if you followed all these seasons, you know what they're thinking, right? You know what Tyrion's thinking. You know what Sansa's thinking because you know who the fuck they are and they don't need any more words to say it except for a few quibbles just to explain, you know, like, oh, I disagree with you, you know, or I'm trying not to agree with you, but I'm forced to, you know, um, and I think that there there was so much money spent on it that no one's going to think of it as like an indie art house version of Game of Thrones. But that's what I see it as is, is, you know, show don't tell. There's, there's yeah. so little dialogue in the second to last episode that the, the violence, the massacre tells the story, you know, nobody's going, no, Danny, don't do it. You're like, nobody's saying that, but their faces <laughs> say it. Their faces say, oh, my God, no, this is really what happens in a siege. And they tease this for from from the Battle of Blackwater. We're finally seeing what what a real siege looks like, where it's just yeah. every person turns evil. Every, you know, everyone except for our stupid, stupid son, apparently. Um, and I want to compare it, I think, to another hugely, massively expensive indie film, which we reviewed, um, you know, over well over over a year ago. Not quite a year ago. I don't remember when it was, but uh, Blade Runner 2049, which the original Blade Runner was far less expensive, but still very ambitious in what the story tried to tell in that it didn't really have a plot, but it had a very dark theme, themes of humanity with any sci-fi of, you know, automaton and android, what that means, what their humanity means. Um, But this film did the same thing and also didn't try to explain a lot of stuff that could have easily been explained. They left it unknown still, so they trusted the viewer to come to their own conclusions. But they spent, you know, $300 million on it, made it the most lush, gorgeous sci-fi production that's ever been made. uh, And it lost a ton of money and not many people went to go see it. And a lot of people didn't even like it or didn't understand it at the time because it, it, it trusted the audience, I think, too much to follow it. And they weren't ready to yet. And I And I strongly think that they're going to do the same thing for this uh, last season and go back, rewatch the whole series, remember it differently because they're reviewing it and they're, they're, you know, it's, it's not anyone's fault that they remember things differently than they actually happened. Right. That's just the, the way memory works. But when you go back and you rewatch the whole show, keep in mind all these things that you forgot. Right. And, and allow yourself to have like a light bulb moment 
where you go, oh shit, I totally forgot that happened. That makes so much more sense now with the way things ended up. Like let yourself have those moments. Don't deliberately shut those down and say, no, that's just the bad writing. And even beyond just the foreshadowing, which is a, there's plenty of for all of these these end game end results for these characters, just l- really pay attention to the character development and 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 the characterization of all these different uh, characters. Like the, the, it really tracks when you look at it from where they were, you know, in the first season and on all the things that they went through that got them to where they ended up you know, at the end, like, I think the idea that like people always are like complaining that like, Oh, Jamie was a total betrayal. Of his kid. Like, no, it's fucking not like, did you watch the show? Like, did you watch the same show as me? Like not just because it's not what you wanted for that character. It's not what you wanted to happen. It doesn't mean it's a betrayal of their character. It just means that- right. And it doesn't mean they threw out the character development either. It means that no. for all the development, for all their, their intents and purposes to be a better person, that ultimately when the shit hit the fan, they were powerless to change the outcome. Try as they may, you know, with Jamie, it was like, look, I, I like this, this woman, this, the, you know, deflowered virgin, but I can't turn my back on someone that's been with me for 40 years, right? He is powerless to that, right? It doesn't mean he has thrown away who he is, Um in the end, you have all these characters that have become better people and smarter, more knowledgeable. But when they're faced with nuclear Armageddon raining down on them, they are all just human. They are powerless. They can't stop it from happening. That That's part of who they are is the way they react to things they have no control over. That is as much character development as them when they have moments of power and witticism and they are able to, to manipulate things. Everyone has their limits of who they are, and that it is not a fault of bad writing. It's not a fault of their character. It's not throwing away their character. It is them reacting to impossible circumstance. Yeah. And and honestly, I think in 10 years, this is going to be a non-issue. I think, uh, and I, I was talking to like my friend Steve, who had not watched the series until this season like or like he, he didn't he started you know from season one like at the beginning of the season because he's like ah well i might as well catch up to catch up by the end of the series and you know you ended up catching up right before the, the finale um and he was like i don't know why people are complaining this seems to the this seems to track with where where the story was headed like i think a lot of people's issues came from the fact that they had two years to speculate and to theorize and to solidify in their brains like this is what's going to happen with jamie this is where john's going to end up this is what's going to happen with danny this is what's going to happen you know with the iron throat like this is like this this and this and when those things didn't happen it wasn't like oh wow that was a really great conclusion or an interesting conclusion to the story i've been watching it was like oh well this is bullshit this is bad writing so your exactly. friend had a much more accurate memory of what just exactly, happened in yeah. all those seasons. Rather than spending the last two years watching fucking speculative fan videos that may or may not have been accurate, he spent the last, you know, however many months uh, immersing himself in the show and having much more accurate memory of the the good writing uh, and how it, it fed into the most recent good writing. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I know you didn't go back and watch the whole series, but I did. I watched the whole thing within about three weeks prior to the, the debut of season eight. And I rewatched a, a big chunks of it, but I hadn't gone, you know, completely start to finish. But it it was blown away with how different things were than I remembered them from years ago. Mm. Complete, you know, who was responsible for whose death and everything. I was like, wow, that it wasn't just Cersei. It wasn't just Cersei who had... uh 
actually not killed this person or that person and actually had no knowledge of it. It was like a, a ton of events that, you know, little things like, well, how does Arya end up in the, the Riverlands with Gendry in the first place? When do, when does their arc start? Because clearly I didn't remember that as being so remember. prolific <laughs> as everyone else did. You know, yeah. uh, uh, how do they, how does she get, uh, you know, how does Jack and Hadar end up indebted to her? King's Landing after Ned gets executed. Right. I don't but then it, out. Like, they, it was like some little group of um, like uh, minor oh, the brothers without banners no well there was it was like hot pie and gendry and aria and a couple other kids were kind of like minor offenders for things and they uh. weren't really prisoners but it was like oh you have to you, you know you have to go to this other place and they get attacked and then it gets broken up and no one's really gives a shit where they end up and then they're kind of on their own but it's it's like all these little stories all threaded together you know i think yeah. when it was a bigger world People just thought, oh, the writing's better because it's more complex. And then as as people got killed off and it got smaller and smaller and smaller, and it went from, you know, being a whole continent or two continents to just really just two castles left. Uh, and everything's contained in that world, and there's not nearly as much cross-cutting from different place to different place. Um, people are more hypercritical when they're locked into just one location. Right. Like imagine if like there was a whole episode of, uh, you know, Battle of Bastards or Hard Home. Right. And that was like how the series ended. People would be way more critical if the Battle of the Bastards was like how the whole show ended. People would be like, what the fuck? Arya got to kill Ramsey? That bitch. That's bad writing. But they weren't because they were like, oh, that's not the end of the whole show. There's so much more. So they have a very different like level of, of critical bias because it's, you know, again, it, this is the final, final, final of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, I think we've we've pretty much talked about uh, as much Game of Thrones as we can. Although you know, I'll always want to keep talking about Game of Thrones. So that's going to be the biggest bummer is like that we won't have a podcast every week to talk about Game of Thrones. Um, but you know, hopefully another series comes along that's just so incredible that we have to talk about it every week i don't i don't see one you know yet on the horizon but if that does come around well i'm sure we'll try to we'll try to do some coverage of it um we shall accommodate i'm sure we'll find yeah. a way yeah and we'll do some more movie reviews coming up uh you know when we when we can for sure um but yeah so uh I, and yeah i mean you know I, I fucking enjoy doing this way more than talking about politics nowadays because politics is just a constant fucking frustration in our lives. It seems yeah. like lately, which we're about to do as soon as this show's over, we're going to do another yeah. cast the same day uh, about politics. We were, uh, we're a little late. Fucking yell about Joe fucking Biden for two hours. Cause <laughs> Joe he's fucking Biden. Obnoxious pervy motherfucker. <sighs> awful. Awful. <laughs> fucking awful. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, we we want to thank you for joining us on on this little seven eight episode journey uh, through Game of Thrones. Uh, it definitely won't be our last long term. I, I I like the, I like doing this as much as I like doing the movie cast. I do like doing these better because I think it's there's just a lot more to work with when you have a series that's that's so expansive and so detailed where we can talk about different things. Like you know, like and I love talking about movies for you know two three hours, but to talk about a series that's this layered and, and, you know, intricate and, and with such a story like backstory, I think is really uh, a lot more enjoyable even than the movie ones for me. So hopefully again, we, we get something that we can, we can do this with again. 
Um, yeah, I, I mean, we've been we've had uh, sorry to bother you on the back burner for I think like six months now, honestly. So maybe yeah, we can we'll get into we'll that, that pretty soon. <laughs> we'll get yeah. back to some films that have a little bit more uh, relevance to our own pro- uh, political world. I think. Ugh, do we have to? Do we have to talk about that? <laughs> um, I just want to talk about fucking dragons and and, and other. Let's start shit reviewing uh, fantasy video games. It'll be a little little. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that pretty much does it for us uh, for for our, our review of Game of Thrones to kind of wrap up. Um, you know, we have our main politics show that we do every week, uh, every Thursday. Uh, you can check that out uh, at the same places you get this on SoundCloud at uh, soundcloud.com slash move left. Uh, you can search on Apple Podcasts for Move Left Idiots. Uh, you can go rate and review and subscribe over there. That really helps us out in the ratings and all of that. Uh, and definitely subscribe if you're if, if you're somebody who just listens to this cast uh, and doesn't necessarily listen to the pod the political podcast uh number one you should listen because you know we, we are living in the in the world and and it's fucked up so we try to navigate through that but we'll also i'm sure be posting any kind of new uh pop culture stuff we cover in this feed as well so if you want to get that you know just check the feed from time to time and, uh, and that's where you'll find that um if you want to uh support the show another way you can uh become a patron patreon.com slash move left uh we also have merch uh tinyurl.com slash move left merch we have t-shirts mugs baby onesies all that shit uh don't forget the cock rings yeah those two of course um (laughs) oh we're also on facebook facebook.com slash move left idiots we post a lot of uh, we post all the shows there, but we also do a lot of uh, discussion, memes, and shit like that. So you know that's that's a fun place to go and and chit chat. And I'm sure we'll 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 continue with the Game of Thrones memes from now until the end of time. Like just because the series is over doesn't mean we're not going to be posting about that shit. Oh uh, yeah, I saw somebody uh, who doesn't watch Game of Thrones on Twitter uh, about uh, three weeks ago. Maybe they posted fucking tweet and they were like oh i can't wait for all the game of thrones memes to end now the show is over and i was like if you think that we're gonna stop posting yeah. the fucking memes just now the show over you are you have definitely mistaken exactly um yeah but uh you know it was a fun ride and uh we'll do this again soon i'm sure and thank you for joining us for left of the thrones uh we will see you when we see you Get better soon, Kit. Yep, get better soon. King of the North. <laughs> All right, stop, collaborate, and listen. Nice is back with a brand new invention. Something grabs a hold of me. Tightly, slows like a half full daily or nightly. Will it ever stop you? I don't know. Turn out the lights and I'll go. To the extreme, I rock a mic like a vendor. Light up a stage and I jump like a candle. Dance, go rush a speaker that. Killing your brain like poisonous, mush fruit deadly. When I hear a dead melody, anything less than the best is a felony. Love it, or leave it, you better be away. You better be if you don't play. And if there was a problem, so I'll solve it. Jack out the hook while my DJ revolves it. Ice, ice, baby. With a brisk, it's him and the veggies are humping. Quick to the point, to the point. No bacon. Cocaine seems like a pound of bacon. Burning them. They are quick. I'm bored. I go crazy when I'm yeah. bristling with a high hat. With a suit cut. Ten high. I'm in a roll. Time to go solo. Rolling in my five.
point with my black top down to my hair low girls on standby wait just to say did you stop no i just rode by kept on to the next stop last to the left now i'm headed to the next block that lock was dead yo why continue to day one day castle rock girl wearing less than the cleanest stone man driving by the key is jealous because i'm out getting mine shade with a gauge of manila ready Four crows on the wall. The crows acting because they're four. Eight balls. Gunshot rings out like a bell. Grab an eye and I heard shells falling upon the concrete. Too far. Don't do my car. Sit down on my desk. Bumble to bumble. The avenue's packed. Try to get away from the jackers. Pack. Why do you want to see you? No, I mean. Let's see. Come from all the bad feelings. Yo, I'll solve the jackhouse. The hook while my engine revolves it. Ice, ice, baby.